Good evening, this is Talking Sports with Evan. The song you hear is courtesy of the Crispy uh, the Crispy Brothers, a group out of Milwaukee who has been writing some great parody songs as of late. And I figured with the game we just had uh, at Lambeau Field, this song's kind of fitting due to all the, uh, I guess, the hate their fans are throwing out uh, all offseason that... They have a real franchise quarterback and uh, Fields, and the Packers are going to not be good with Love, I guess. I'll just paraphrase it there. But anyways, Packers are playoff bound, and I got Tristan Thomas from Toss Sports joining me um, tonight to discuss the Packers and the Bears and then uh, talk some Milwaukee Bucks as well. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking sports with me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Even though technology is still against me, we're still fighting that battle from 2023, but we're going to get it right. We're here to chop it up. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yep, 2024, technology-wise, is going to be uh, be better for you. I'm going to put that there right now. So, Thank you. Good juju. Good juju. <laughs> so last time we talked, and you got to be actual host of the show briefly, when my <laughs> internet decided to just completely kick me out, Packers are sitting at two and five. I think it was two and five. Maybe there was, maybe it was right before the Viking game or right after the Viking game. Either way, they weren't looking good, and we were pretty critical. And um, as you put it on Twitter, our axe tough love of what we were seeing from the Packers, especially on the offense. A lot of the same mistakes. It looked stagnant. It looked um, just not good. And here we are. Packers finished the year at nine and eight. I was a little worried, I'll admit, then when I said that my preseason prediction was eight or nine wins, and when they were two and five, I was a little bit worried that we're going to miss the mark, because I, I do have one friend of mine in particular who would not let me hear the end of it if I was wrong. Um, but the Packers sit nine and eight, playoff bound. They got things right. They got things corrected. And I guess before we talk Packers-Bears, just kind of get your thoughts on this turnaround and where it kind of came from uh with the green bay packers yeah like you said i mentioned on twitter it, it was tough love and th- that's what you have to have with your team you know you you can't you can't look at it through green and gold colored glasses all the time you know you have to be a realist about the way things are going and the, what we take is from the field the game tape don't lie they were dropping passes. Love was inaccurate going down the field. They were making just all the mental mistakes, all the penalties, just everything you would expect from a young team, and it cost them games. And as you see the season go on, those mistakes became fewer and fewer. Love got more comfortable and even more comfortable, and he continued to be accurate and take care of the football, turned it over less, started hitting those deep shots. The receivers held on to the, to the football, and – for better or for worse, Joe Barry came up with a few good defensive game plans that helped the defense play pretty well to help get them some wins. And it all culminated on Sunday with that, that victory uh, over the Bears. Once again, a win in your end situation against Chicago. Chicago with a chance to knock the Packers out of the playoffs. Could not do it yet again. And I said before the season, 
nine, ten wins, being the thick of the playoff race. Here they are, nine and eight, going to the playoffs, playing with house money, going to Dallas to see old friend Mike McCarthy. It's it, it makes you happy to see the growth of this young team and for them to get into the playoffs as the youngest team ever to do it. it it's quite the turnaround. You love to see it. Yeah, definitely love to see it. And again, uh, Kristen Thomas, Toss Sports, Toss uh, Nation, uh, where you find his work, uh, friend of the show, friend of the, uh, you know, everything that we, you know, we're, you know, friends of what we do in regards to sports talk. And if you are watching the show live, love to get your comments. Uh, were you always a love believer or a few weeks back, were you wanting to draft Caleb Williams and tank the rest of the season? Caleb Williams, I bring him up because he seems to be the consensus choice for number one overall if the Bears or whoever they traded to do select a quarterback. We'd like to get your thoughts. And for me, I'm I've always been this season a I I would say I've been a love believer. And the reason why I've been a love believer is during when things weren't looking good, I could tell he knew where he wanted to go with the football. He was able to process what the defense is trying to do get the football out and he he was putting the ball for the most part except for his deep balls early on a lot of underthrows he's putting the ball where he's supposed to but the issue we ran into a lot of receivers running routes pretty much together in the same general area so you're bringing extra defenders in the area and drops as you mentioned and there's two particular players I want to shout shout out or call out who uh, the offense really started to click when those two really, I would say, figured it out. And that's Jaden Reed and Don Travius Wicks. When they figured it out, that's when Love really started to take off as a thrower of the football because they started turning those drops into catches and started getting chunk plays. And then this Love just became more comfortable as they kind of took over at the position. Yeah, and, and and I think every receiver kind of had their time, right? When Christian Watson was healthy, he was an absolute game breaker. You saw that, uh, you know, Mr. Reliable and Romeo Dobbs. He's always there. He seems to be continuing to make big catches. You got Bo Melton coming up from, from the Ooh. from the practice squad. <laughs> yeah, right. Who <laughs> potential number one receiver? Um, no, Bo Melton coming up making his play. So it, it's like. Every single one, let's not forget about Musgrave. Let's not forget about Tucker Kraft. I mean, those guys are out there. They're they're making the proper plays at the proper moments. And it seems like all of them have had their moments. And you love to see Jordan Love spread the ball around because you can't just key in on one guy. So with all those guys having their moments, having their hot streaks, uh, uh, getting better at running the proper routes, as you mentioned, getting better at holding on to the football, turning those misses into catches, into big chunk plays, it, it really helped this offense take off. But let's not forget about the big factor in this. Aaron Jones coming back healthy, three straight 100-yard games because hmm, first, time first time in his career, and they forgot, oh, maybe we should run this guy 20-plus times and see what we can get out of him. Oh, he's a factor back. Oh, all right, that's a nice reminder. So with him running the football that way, with the defense being a little bit more physical, and with – Defense is not able to key in on just one guy as far as the receiving game goes. It, it, it can make for a very tough matchup. Yeah, definitely can. And as much as I like A.J. Dillon, the person, like I, I think A.J. Dillon, you know, I think he brings something to the team. Obviously, he's not a featured back, 
But him being limited with that thumb and missing last week with that stinger probably was better off for the offense because it kind of forced uh, – I almost said McCarthy because they're playing the Cowboys. I'm getting ahead of myself. It kind of forced LaFleur to need to uh, involve Jones and keep him on the field because I don't trust Patrick Taylor. He doesn't know, he doesn't know how to run out of bounds in clutch situations. And we don't really know. He's been up and he's been on and off the roster so many times for a reason. If if Patrick Taylor was that guy, then he would have been on the practice squad, brought up, released, and been in the Patriots system and back here. None of that would have happened if he would have been the guy. So I think Dylan being a little banged up has really forced LaFleur offensively to uh, really decide he needed to involve Jordan, uh, Aaron Jones more. And that's made Jordan Love more comfortable, too, as he ha- has a security blanket there. And the RPO picks up and the play action picks up because you have to respect what Aaron Jones is bringing you. Absolutely. I mean, you, like I said, he's a factor back. The numbers don't lie. The tape don't lie. As you mentioned, Jordan Love has a security blanket there. He can go to him, you know, on a hot route. He can go to him in the flat. He he knows that Aaron Jones is going to be in the right spot to to help block in case they got an extra uh, blitzer coming in. So it, it, it's it's huge to have him back because we've been seeing it all season. He is so vital to what this team does offensively, but they need to use him as the factor back that he is. So I understand you want to keep him on the pitch count because he does get hurt. Well, we've seen it this season yet again, but there comes a time, especially late in the season, and I think LaFleur has understood that last three games where you got to run the football and you got to run it with your best runner, and that is Aaron Jones. Yeah, the run that he had in the final drive in that Chicago game where he was not going to be stopped short of that first down, or that they needed that first down in order to Ice run it. out the game. Ice it, as you just said, and he was not going to be de- denied and I guess I want to get your thought here because the conversations turned into after the bear win is do the Packers need an alpha, a wide receiver, you know, a, a true number one, or are they fine with what they have? I think they have a potential, a couple guys with this wide receiver room that if they continue to ascend and stay healthy, because I think every member of the wide receiver room has dealt with some kind of injury, except Bo Melton, because he's so new. I think they have a couple guys that can develop to be that alpha. And I'm looking at Wicks. There's just something about him and his game, his route running ability, reminds me a lot of Devontae Adams. I'm not saying he's going to be Devontae Adams, but just his ability to come up with the big catch at the right time in the right moment. And then Jaden Reed kind of has that dog in him too. And, of course, Christian Watson, if he can stay healthy. I think they those are the three guys I think I trust the most in the wide receiver room. Romeo Dobbs is up in that area as well. But I, I think they've kind of maxed out on what Romeo Dobbs is in this offense. But those are the three people I look at that have the, the alpha dog potential long term. Do they need that number one guy? Or can they get by with just having six or seven guys uh, contribute in the passing game every week? I think it would behoove them to have about six or seven guys that you can trust in certain situations to come up with the big catch. Uh, I was excited for Wicks, the Wicks pick. I was excited for the repick, pick especially. 
um, before the season began because I knew those two guys could develop into something special. I said Reed could be an absolute terror in, in the slot, and look at what he's doing. You know, it's 10 touchdowns in his rookie year. So, I mean, it, it, he's definitely a factor. So it, he could definitely be a one. Uh, Wicks, as you mentioned, could definitely be a one. He's physical. And Watson, I think they're going to do everything they possibly can uh, in the offseason to kind of strengthen his back so those hamstring injuries don't don't happen and he can really truly show the the game breaker type wide receiver that we all believe he can be. We've seen it. We've seen flashes of it. It's just his health. That's the big thing. If he can stay healthy and be on that field, it, it takes his offense to another level as well. Before we jump to Packer Bear, I just want Bears. I want to ask you this question: um, What has impressed you the most with Jordan Love? Just his poise with, with everything. There was a time where they were, what, weren't they like two and one to, to, to start with? Um, things are going well. He's playing pretty well. And then they went through that stretch where it was like a month, a little over a month, where they didn't win. Dropped all the way down to two and five. But you saw his composure. You saw his poise, and it never wavered. That has been the most impressive thing to me because it's like, okay, I understand. This is the ups and downs of the NFL. You're going to go through the ebbs and flows of it. We have to stay consistent. We have to continue to believe in the work that we put in, and things will get better. I will continue to work to get better, and we'll see the results, and they did. So his, his composure you know, as the quarterback, as a guy who uh, the franchise really wasn't completely sold on, let's be honest about it. Um, I think he's proven that he could be that guy. I, I know it's one year, 32 touchdown passes, 36 touchdowns overall, only 11 picks to carry the football, got better with the deep ball, 4,000 yards passing. Just the poise that he displayed throughout all the fires and everything else that it came the, the Packers' way thus far—that's been the most impressive thing to me. Yeah, I would agree with the poise. The poise has been extremely impressive. The other thing to me that has been extremely impressive is just how in control he is. Yeah, the Viking game—a perfect example. Flores loves to blitz, and he has to because outside of Hunter, the Vikings don't have a pass rusher anywhere on that front seven. Nope. They love the blitz from different areas, different angles, twists, stunts, pulls, whatever. He loves to send pressure on the quarterback. And going into that game, we all knew that was going to happen. And the Vikings blitzed a lot. But he and the offensive line were just in complete control of that game, recognizing where that pressure was going to come from and getting that ball to where it needed to go in order to potentially make a big play. And Kurt, Kurt Warner, on you can find it on uh, YouTube, he has a breakdown of that Viking game where he kind of goes play-by-play play with Jordan Love showing, and he just had complete control in that game of the offense, and he kind of did the same thing in, against the Chicago Bears where he had just complete control of what they were trying to do the one thing I would say he probably needs to get more consistent is just his feet. When his feet do what he's supposed to, he looks to be a Pro Bowl plus caliber quarterback. When his feet aren't set and not doing what he needs to them to do, he looks like an average to slightly above average quarterback. And we need him to be more consistent with that footwork. I'm sold on him. I think he is a long-term answer. I know we've seen quarterbacks have a great year and then they teams figure them out and we don't really hear from them again. 
But the biggest thing for Love going into this next season, I know we still have a game left at minimal this season, but defensive coordinators are going to be in the lab trying to figure out how to rattle him, how to slow him down. It's how he adjusts to the adjustments is what's going to be key for Jordan Love. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the coaching staff has to help him. That's where he has to continue to put in that work and continue to get better. This is a young team, the youngest in the NFL. To be able to do this with the youngest team in the NFL from all the times that they were so undisciplined with the things that they were doing and uh, for all the times they were inconsistent with the things they were doing to right the ship, get it back together to make yourself a playoff team, not a playoff caliber team. You are now in the postseason. It is nothing short of remarkable. So if you're doing this and it's your first year as a starter, those three years sit behind Aaron Rodgers were a huge benefit. I don't care who says what about Rodgers. I don't care. You can't deny what he's done on the field and the things that Jordan Love has picked up from him, as well as Matt LaFleur. This franchise continues to be a good franchise in developing the quarterback position. Jordan Love's the next part of that legacy. I think he's a long-term answer, but as you mentioned, we'll see how he adjusts to the adjustments next season. Yeah, that's going to be the key. Uh, Tristan Thomas, uh, TossNationMedia.com. Packers beat the Bears 17-9, clinched the playoff. Kind of deja vu all over again as you know, Yankees catcher Yogi Berra would say uh, what he was known to say is last year they boat raced the Vikings on New Year's Day, and then they play Detroit and you win your in situation. And unfortunately for us Packer fans, and maybe it was maybe it's a blessing in disguise long term as it kind of made the Packers. Now we're moving on from Rodgers. I think right then and there, I think Goody kind of knew that it was time. Um, but if they would have if they would have made the playoffs and had a playoff run, who knows? Rodgers is possibly still in Green Bay, and Jordan Love's probably traded in the offseason. So I guess in the long term, it ended up working out for the better. But the Packers go into that game, which we've seen happen often in Matt LaFleur coach teams, and I do like Matt LaFleur, is when they have that type of game, they come out flat, they come out disjointed, they come out like a deer in the headlights, and everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. And this year, they destroy the Vikings, have a perfect game, almost a perfect game in Minnesota on New Year's Eve to play Chicago at home to win and you're in. And the Packers had a good game plan defensively. They did. I'm not a Joe Barry guy, still not, but tip your cap to him that he did what he needed to do to limit what Justin Fields could do. And it basically forced the Bears. I don't I think they threw one pass the entire third quarter in that game. Yeah. Maybe maybe one pass. And offensively, again, the Packers discord it looked that way, but they didn't punt at all. And they should have had two more touchdowns. One got knocked out of Dobbs his hand when he got uh, hands when he got the chest injury, and I am going to die on this hilltop here. That was a catch for Bull Melton. The ball was pinned to the knee, not moving when he went out of bounds. That was a catch. That was more of a catch than the one DJ Moore had when he hit the ground. But I'm impressed. The coaching staff had a, a good game plan. Jordan Love and the defense executed said game plan. And the Packers are in the playoffs. I guess, what are your your thoughts on that 17-9 victory over Chicago, uh, ending the Bears' season 
which we knew they weren't going to make the playoffs anyways. But hey, by beating them, we did. You know, and, and I didn't say it was going to be a layup by any stretch of imagination. The Bears, you, you hate to give them credit, but you have to give credit where credit is due. They have been playing a lot better uh, ever since Justin Fields had come back. So you, I definitely props for that. They've been playing a lot better. The offense had looked a lot better. It looks like Fields, I mean, the, the crowd was chanted. They won Fields. It looks like he he was making this push to, to solidify himself as a, as a quarterback in the future there. I don't know if that will happen or not. I mean, Chicago doesn't exactly make the most sound decisions, but I digress. The, the Packers, as you mentioned, under Matt LaFleur, in, in some of the most large games you could possibly play or big moments or big spotlight games, they do. They come out flat. You know, I mean, all the NFC title games, <laughs> you know, I mean, just just picking out those games, the last season's uh, season finale. I mean, just didn't come out with the Giants with, game. Then. Yeah. I mean, so it's like they didn't come out, you know, playing like their piss was hot, you know, like, like whatsoever. So to, to see them come out and yeah, it was a close first half, seven to six. Um, but they 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 really were playing better than what the score indicated. And in the second half, they put it together. They started to pull away a little bit, made the plays necessary to, to ice it. it. It was a, it was a a tough physical game from them. You're encouraged by you know to see that because that's exactly the way you want to play later on in the season, heading into the playoffs. So it, it was an impressive performance. You know the score may not look gaudy as the the week prior, but they went in, they came in, they they played with juice, uh, and. and got to the playoffs you know that's that's the big thing you know that there's any extra games this young squad can get is going to do nothing but benefit them and now you're in postseason that's going to do nothing but benefit them in the future yeah definitely it's going to benefit them and no matter what happens in jerry's world um on sunday it's only going to benefit them even if it the score doesn't look how we want it it's going to benefit them and Jerry's world was someplace that Aaron Rodgers dominated in. Brett Favre, it was a, a house of hor- uh, crazy there. Everything that could possibly go wrong against the Cowboys always went wrong. Anytime Brett Favre was in in uh, old Cowboys stadium, oh, I guess we'll kind of see what happens Sunday with Jordan Love. Is it going to be more Aaron Rodgers-esque or is it going to be more Brett Favre-esque when he has to play in Dallas? And you're going to have Mike McCarthy – facing him off in the playoffs, which I feel if Dallas does not win, his job is in jeopardy because Dan Quinn's name being thrown around a lot as a coaching option. I think Jones wants to keep Dan Quinn around as long as he can, and I think he would choose to move on from McCarthy if it meant that. But back to uh, quickly on the, the Packer Bears, when the Bears made their first field goal with a doink, the Packers missed their first field goal, and then we had the the commotion to end the first half. I looked to – because I was at uh, work when it happened. I looked to one of my colleagues, and I say to him, the, the foundation has been laid for our hearts being ripped out of our chest and thrown in the garbage can because we've seen that story before. We've yeah. seen it in Seattle. We've seen it numerous places that there's always weird, like Tampa Bay, this NFC championship game against Tampa Bay, a fluke touchdown to end the half. Rogers missing a wide open Alan Lazard in the back of the end zone. 
Devontae Adams dropping a back shoulder pass that he catches before that moment 100% of the time. And then Aaron Jones, he doesn't fumble, having two fumbles in the same game. It's just we've seen the script. When weird start things start happening, but the Packers kept their poise. Use your word about love. They kept their poise, and they got it done. And now we get to see them with the Cowboys coming up. And before we do move on, I'm going to preview Packers-Cowboys on Thursday. Want to get some general thoughts from you. I don't want you to give out all your content here. You know, I know you want to save some for uh, your, your, your show and whatnot. But what are your general thoughts on that Cowboy game? You know, it's it's – it's it's a tough matchup, and it, it's a tough matchup both ways. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean you're at home if you're Dallas, and they are explosive at home. I mean if they're scoring like almost 35 points per game at home, I mean they're almost unbeatable there. But the Packers present a problem in the fact that if they continue to run the football as they have been the last three weeks, Dallas is an absolute sieve against the run. They cannot stop a nosebleed. So if they could be physical, run that football, burn clock, Jordan Love is on time with his throws, it could be a tough matchup. But if Joe Barry ends up Joe Barrying this defense, it could be a boat race really quick in the favor of the Cowboys, but we shall see. Yeah, I'm going to get more into this. Thursday, but you mentioned Joe Barry. Can Joe Barry it? Um C.D. Lamb worries me a lot. He is a game-breaking wide receiver. And we've seen the script get laid, too, that Joe Barry, for some reason, stops doing what's been working and decides to do something different. And they also don't stop the run very well. They did better against the Bears, but they don't stop the run that well. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, Sunday, how everything does come together. Before we jump to NBA, uh, I, I'm sure uh, you saw the clip. The Saints and the Falcons. Victory formation. Yeah. One yard line. They decide to give the ball to Jamal Williams, and he scores, and then we saw the fiasco at the end. I'm going to get you get a chance to kind of give your thoughts on that situation, and then I'm going to kind of – I, then I'm going to give my thoughts on it. But what were your thoughts on that whole situation? Uh, on the one hand, see, it, it, it's it's really it's all a mess. It, it's it's all a mess, and it's a it's a mess from different angles. Dennis Allen called the play and said, "Hey, victory formation, we've got this game won." Well, Jameis Winston, who was in there at the time, and you know, Jameis will Jameis, yeah, decides audible, and Oh, well, Jamal Williams led the NFL in touchdown rushes last year. He doesn't have one this year. He's been kind of hurt. Let's get him one on the, on the final play of the final game, which they didn't know would be the final game at that point because the Packers hadn't played yet. But on the final game of the season, well, let's let's get him one. They score. The game was already in hand. Just Just go victory formation. Just go victory formation. And for Arthur Smith, who... I am absolutely 1,000% not a fan of Arthur Smith because he should be criminally... I don't think his dad's even a fan of him. (laughs) (laughs) He should be criminally charged for how he utilized or lack thereof utilization of Kyle Pitts and and Tyler Algier and Drake London and other guys. 
Robinson, like who absolutely shredded the Packers. Like, I mean, he should be, but I think that was his frustration boiling over because he knew he was going to get fired. He knew he was going to get fired. So he just had to let somebody hear it on his way out. I don't think he was very mad about that. I think he was mad about the fact that he knew he was going to be a lame duck coach. He was going to be fired either that night or the next morning. And it just all came out. So, you know, game was in hand. Uh, on one hand, you could say, we'll stop them if they're going to score. But the game was in hand. Just victory formation, get out of there, go watch the games, and hope you make the playoffs. Yeah. So on Sunday, I was critical before I heard Dennis Allen's comments. I was critical of him because uh, I hadn't heard that he did call, take a knee, hence why they're in victory formation. So I, I give him, you know, typically you don't want to throw your own guys under the bus like that, but I think no. it was warranted in Jameis Winston in this situation. I think I don't think he's back in New Orleans next year, especially if Dennis Allen's still there because you don't do that. And I know he said, well, the team, we agreed to do it. I don't really care. And the, here's the, if they would have lined up in a regular formation and did it, I don't have a problem with it. Just stop them. It's your job as the Falcons to stop them from scoring. But you're lined up in victory formation. Right. Victory formation means we're going to take a knee. Okay, that's fine. Nobody's going to come as hard as they normally would. And that's a situation where you then potentially see injuries. And the Saints still have a playoff opportunity if things fall their way. So now his... He's putting his teammates at risk by having them line up in this victory formation and then giving the ball to the running back. And then he's putting, I know it's the last game of the year, they have the whole offseason to heal, but what happens if somebody blows an ACL? Their 2024 season is likely over. So I just think you're putting guys at unnecessary risk in a game that is very physical. You have a lot of risk anyways. Why put guys at unnecessary risk? And as an official, Here's why I'm annoyed with it too, is things trickle down. You, the kids, they see things at the NFL level. They see things at the college level. But guess what they start trying to do at the high school level? You, you see guys in the NFL in college wearing uh, uh, their football pants, and I'm using that term loosely, without knees covered. The high school level, it's a requirement, so we're fighting that battle. But Ezekiel mm-hmm. Elliott can do it. Why can't I? And then you know, um, you have Tyree Kill doing the the deuces. I don't think he can anymore. He gets flagged. I had a kid in a game I was doing a scrimmage at did that in that game. And I didn't. It was a scrimmage, so I didn't throw the flag. But I pulled him aside and said, "Look, you do that on Friday night. You're costing your team 15 yards. And if you do it and you're not in the end zone yet, now you're risking taking a touchdown off the board." What's going to end up happening, because some of these high school coaches, especially the freshman and JV coaches, they don't understand the rules of high school football as much as they want to say they do. When they get mad at us as the officials, it's usually over something that's allowed at the NFL level, but we don't do it in high school. A team's going to try that play. We're going to blow it dead and flag it, and now we have to deal with a pissed-off coach because we didn't let them run that play. Because it's going to trickle down. It's going to. Mm-hmm. Some team is going to be idiot and do it. At the high school level, when I get told, if I'm an official, either the white hat or the wing, that, hey, we're taking a knee. Okay, let all the other officials know. Let the other coach, let the players know. They're taking a knee. 
So let's let up, let them take the knee, and then it's over. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward to having to, like, explain why we blew a play dead um, when you told us you're taking a knee and you don't. <laughs> yeah. Not looking forward yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, it all it all trickles down. And I'll say some things the NFL is a little bit too stringent on that, that you know, just let it go. But at the same time, rules are rules. Uh, they're there for a reason. And there are certain things you can do at the, at the NFL level because they're professionals. You can't do it at the high school level because you're still learning how to play the game. I personally don't have a problem with uh, at the NFL level with and uh, Tyree Kill doing it. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's fun. You know, I, I think they like it. But it's the NFL. I just annoyed when I see a high school kid do it or a youth or eighth grader do it, and now I have to explain to them and their coaches why I threw a flag at them. <laughs> it's just, it's just, like learn to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're I not said, there yet. You're not there yet. <laughs> if they would have lined up in eye formation or pistol formation or shotgun formation or whatever and did the handoff to Jamal Williams to try to get him that touchdown, I don't have a problem with it. But the fact that it was victory formation – and you're putting guys in unnecessary risks in a sport that is very high injury risk by just putting on that helmet, you're putting guys in unnecessary risk. And that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And like I said, I don't think um, I don't think Winston is back in New Orleans next year. I really don't. So again, uh, Tristan Thomas, TossMedia.com, joining me tonight here at Talking Sports with Evan. And going to switch gears to the NBA and the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks uh, took one on the chin after deciding that they didn't have to show up for the first half. They could take the first half off and then see what happened. Had a great third quarter, but unfortunately, I think they just ran out of gas in the fourth quarter after having to try to come back down 33 at one point. And they got it to single digits a couple times in the fourth. But, again, I think they had just ran out of gas. I know they didn't have Dame last night, but Dame, even with Dame, they've still been – December looked way easy for the Bucs, won seven in a row, and then 2024 strikes. They were seeing some of the same problems we were seeing through the first couple weeks of the season. Your general synopsis of the Milwaukee Bucks right now. (laughs) Do we have the time? Um (laughs) You know, they're coasting on talent currently. You know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, look, I understand they're 25 to 12. I understand they're second in the Eastern Conference. That does not mean they're good. And I'll tell you why. Because if your goal is to make the playoffs, you have all these teams that are bottom feeders, which, look, anybody can beat you in the NBA. We saw that last night. The Jazz had you down, what, 41 27? In the first quarter, you gave up yet another 40-plus point quarter. When was the last time we've seen this many 40-plus point quarters given up by the Milwaukee Bucks? We haven't seen that in years and years and years and years. You know, and if we had, it, it was just a hiccup there, and then they got it back together. This level of non-existent defense is just foreign to all of us because under Mike Boonholzer, we saw one of the top defensive teams in the NBA in his time. That is one thing that he would coach, he would preach it, he will live it, and he will pull you and sit you for multiple games if you were not playing it. Enter Adrian Griffin, who is a rookie head coach, has not found his footing yet, and they're struggling. And that was supposed to be his calling card. You know, it was supposed to be, okay, yeah, we're good defensively, we're going to continue that defensive excellence, and now we made this trade for Dame, 
which everybody felt was the missing piece because he's a dog and he's clutch and he's that guy that can get you a bucket, rather getting to the cup or shooting from long distance. That's the one piece they were missing. Yeah, you got that one piece that you were missing as far as crunch time goes, as far as another score goes, but you have now lost your complete defensive identity. And it's not on Dame, even though he could do better on that end of the floor. It's a culmination of a new coach, new system, but him not finding his footing as a head coach and being authoritative about the things that he's doing. He's listening to the players. I got that. They went back to drop coverage. Okay, cool. But how are you holding players accountable for when they're not out there playing defense? Dame, I don't care. He's a top 75 player all time. I get it. But you need to get on him because you're the head coach. Malik Beasley, yeah, he's shooting great from three. Needs to be better defensively. I, I mean, it, it's the, the, the bench is another issue. It's something that we did not know would be an issue. You got bucket getters out there. You know, a bench led by Bobby Portis, you know, who, who continues to do his thing. But far too many times we've seen their bench get shredded by the other team's bench. Them not playing good defense. Them still trying to figure it out. Uh, I think one piece offensively that does get missed that I don't think too many people think about is the loss of Terry Stotts on that coaching staff. Terry Stotts has intimate knowledge of what it takes to make Dame Lillard successful. Dame Lillard also played with another big in Nurkic for many, many, many years, and they had a lot of success. This was a guy that was brought on the staff because he knew Damian Lillard. He knew how to play off of him with another big, which would have been Giannis. Ever since his departure, Offensively, yeah, they, they, I mean, they're still, you know, cranking out the points. You know, they're a high-scoring team, but it's not quite the way that it should be. They, they should be running teams into the ground with pick and rolls and dribble hands off, and, and it's not happening that way. It's not happening that way. So Adrian Griffin, he's got to get hold of his ship. He, he's got to start holding guys accountable for not playing defense. He's got to be steadfast in what he wants to do and execute that. And, of course, they need help. Jay Crowder would be a big help as far as perimeter defense goes, but they still need another defensive-minded wing. So there's still pieces that are necessary. They're still trying to figure it out. Yes, they're 25-12, and 12, but they're coasting on talent. And if you're going to get to the playoffs and you think you're just going to go and outscore everybody 120, 130, 140 points, you're sadly mistaken. It's not going to happen. So 37 games in, got a lot of ball to play. You're second in the East. But that does not mean you're a good team. You're feasting on bottom feeders. And every once in a while, we've seen some of those bottom feeders come back and bite them. So I think for me, one of the most frustrating things I've seen with the Milwaukee Bucks this so far, and there's a, a lot of uh, frustrating pieces, but I think to me one of the more frustrating pieces is we've, when th- we've seen that when this team puts in the effort and says we are going to play defense, they can play defense at a high level. Look at the third quarter last night. They held the Jazz to 23 points in the third quarter. Right. We've seen them, you know, they had a very bad first quarter against Boston uh, right before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And third, fourth quarter, they almost came back to win. Why? Because the defense decided we're going to play better. And then we've seen games where they just seem completely disinterested. It's We've seen that when they want to play defense, when the starting five, especially, want to play defense, 
they play it at a high level, but it's, they don't do it enough. And I think that's where you talk about the accountability from the coaching aspect needs to come in. We have to play this way for four quarters, night in and night out, if we want to win the championship. And I know this part of the season right now is figuring things out for the playoffs, but you got to give a better effort on the floor more consistently in my thought. And you mentioned the bench the a week ago, I think tomorrow when they lost to uh, Indi- Indiana at home, if the bench, if, if you take the benches out of the equation for both teams, the Bucks blow the Pacers out. Yeah. But the Pacers bench scored, I think 63, 64 points and the Bucks scored, I think 13. That's not good enough. That that's definitely a concern that I have for sure. And I guess who are some you have Crowder coming back. Who are some guys that the Bucks can target to give them either you so you could put Beasley back on the bench and have a different two guard in there, or as you said, a more of a wing defender? Who are some guys they can target? The 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 one name that keeps coming up is, is Alex Caruso. That's that's the name that keeps coming up. He's definitely a pest defensively. He, we've seen him be a pest defensively against the Bucks. So it, that that's one name that comes up. Does that come to fruition? What do you have to give up? I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but they something does have to happen. A move has to be made. Uh, they've already released a couple of guys off a of two-way contract. So uh, that tells me that horse is cooking something up. I haven't heard anything in the winds just yet. Uh, I definitely have my ears to the ground. But it's 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 a it's a problem. It's a problem. You mentioned they have to be more consistent with it. They can defend at a high level. Absolutely, they can defend at a high level. That and we've seen it. Uh, I think this is why Giannis has come out in almost every single post game press conference and said, hey, "We we need to be better. We need to be better. We 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 need to put in more effort defensively." Yeah. Is he getting on people's behinds in that locker room? Is he is he is he screaming at those guys? I mean, we we don't know. So, you know, he's 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 the leader. He's the future Hall of Famer, all that. They're going to follow his lead, at least you would think. I mean, because he's out there putting effort every single night on both ends of the court. Why isn't everybody else doing the same? And, and that's where the coach has to come in and be that voice and be that hammer and says, look, if you're not going to play on this end of the court, you're just not going to play. I would much rather get blown out by being shorthanded than to let you come out here and get blown out anyway because you're not putting in an effort defensively. Yeah. So here's a stat that I I found a little bit interesting, and maybe it means nothing. And I want I'm going to get your your thoughts on the people demanding and asking for Adrian Griffin's head already. I get your thoughts on that in a second. But decided to you know do some research because I remember a couple years back, and I I know uh, I know he's in Houston now. He got uh, some issues that uh, forced him out in Boston. But Uduka, I, I think I pronounced his name right. Correct me if I'm wrong. You made Udoka. Yeah, Udoka. Thank you. Through 40 games, his first year in Boston, through the first 40 games, do you remember what his record was? 19 and 21. Yep. Either you knew that off the top of your head or you've been paying attention to my Twitter or you knew I was going to bring it up. (laughs) I tweeted it out on Sunday. Through his first 40 games, he was 19 and 21. Yeah. Two games under 500. And I'm not part of Boston Celtics Twitter. 
I don't live out in Boston. I don't follow the Celtics like that, but I'm fairly certain because that was a very talented Boston team. Extreme. I'm fairly certain that there were people in the Boston area after years of high quality coaching from Brad Stevens who were probably wishing Brad Stevens would pull a Popovich and go back behind the bench or go back on the bench. They end up making the NBA finals and they end up losing to Golden State in the NBA finals. And I'm not necessarily saying that Griffin's going to be him, but you talk about finding his footing. Obviously, through 40 games, a couple years back, he didn't find his footing yet. And then they went on a huge run to finish, I think, of what they were second in the East, third in the East. They were one of the top teams in the East. I know that much. I know the, they ended up knocking the Bucks out of the playoffs, unfortunately. That's, I think, they didn't have Chris Middleton that series, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly. Yeah. Griffin threw 36 games, now 37 games. Through 36 games, he's 25 and 11. Through 37 games, he's 25 and 12. I think they've built enough. They've built enough in the positive win loss record wise that it's giving Griffin time to find that footing. But do you think we're at that point? Because I've, I've seen Bucks Twitter, one in particular, I think is going to celebrate if they, uh, oh, not, sorry, let me rephrase. I think one in particular is going to uh, be mad if the Bucks win the championship this year because it means Griffin sticking around. Do you think it's time that Griffin's just not going to work, cut your losses, throw them to the wayside, and have Prunty or this other guy they just brought in to be the offensive guy to, who replaced Dots on the bench? Is it time to give one of those guys a try, or do we give Griffin more tri- more time? See, and, and this is the, the 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 angering and depressing part about Bucks Twitter because not a lot of those folks live in reality. As you mentioned, Udoka was nineteen and twenty one. If you go back and remember that season, they could defend. They could defend their behinds off. That, that, that was not the problem. The problem was they couldn't get it together between Tatum and Brown offensively. And it was like either one of them was on, one of them was off. It was just dis- disconjointed. They couldn't figure it out. And then eventually it clicked and they took off. And they were doing it on both ends of the court. And they were just an amazing, amazing team. Tough team to beat. Uh, it took a, a generational team like Golden State to, to take them down, I believe, in six. So it... it, it it's not so much that the problem was defensively for them because you don't can teach some defense. It's one thing you're going to preach. They couldn't get things to get offensively once that happened to click. Could they have that same sort of run with Adrian Griffin uh, on the Bucks? Potentially. Potentially. But it has to be within your DNA to want to give effort on the defensive end. We are now 37 games into the season. I am a firm believer, and if you listen to Toss, you know I've been saying it for years. I am not going to truly sit down and break down a team and judge them until at least 25 to 30 games until a season. Well, we're at 37. And at that point, you most times are what you are. They have made a transition between from being a, a tough-minded defensive ball club into an offensive-laden ball club. But you have to be able to go out there and get timely stops. Can Adrian Griffith get it there? You have to give him time to be able to get it there. He's also still trying to find his footing as a rookie head coach. Remember, this is not something he's ever done before. He's coached, yeah, but it's different between being an assistant and being that teacher hands-on constantly to having to run the entire ship. 
and have your finger on the pulse of everything. So he's trying to find his footing as an NBA head coach. The Bucks are trying to find their footing with uh, another top 75 player in an offensive lineup, trying to figure out things with a new defensive system that's constantly being tweaked, that constantly trying to find the right pieces to put in place. You have to give Griffin time. It, he's 25 and 12. Like I said, it, they could feast on bottle feeders in a regular season and boast that record and get themselves qualified for the playoffs. Does not mean that they're a great team. It just means that they're 25 and 12. But you're 25 and 12. So you got to give that man some credit for getting this team there, for continuing to teach, continue to do his job. You got to give him time. It is way too early to sit here and say, oh, fire this guy. He doesn't have them playing good defense when they're blowing almost everybody out offensively at an unbelievable clip. Give the man time. Give the team some time. And I think playoffs, if they do qualify for such, will definitely be a proving ground. I don't think if qualifying for the playoffs is a question, it's a question of how far are they going to go in the playoffs? I think they're good enough to finish top three, top two to uh, two, three or four in the East. I think Boston is going to be one in the East, but I think they're good enough to be two, three or four, make the playoffs. 76ers. I don't know what to think of them right now. They're currently be, be the three seed right now. I Embiid's already dealing with injuries left and right. He's missing tomorrow night again. Yeah. Nurse's style is going to probably not be good for players like Embiid as he can be a bit fragile when it comes to injuries as it is. I, I think they're going to be burned out by game 82. I think the Bucks will be a top three or four seed in the Eastern Conference. Where the dust settles from there, I guess we'll find out. But if the, I don't want to take up too more, much more of your time. But there's two, two kind of two questions I want to ask here. One is involving Griffin. One is involving Dame. And I guess I'll keep since we're talking Griffin. Keep it Griffin. If the Bucks lose in the first or second round of the playoffs or Eastern Conference Finals, do they pull that? Do they pull the? Uh, uh, did they make that change and decide to bring in a different coach next season if they fall short of a championship, or does it kind of depend on how the season ends? Uh, tongue in cheek, I'll ask the question: When does when does Jimmy when does Haslam become governor? <laughs> like that that would be the big question because we know he is the king of knee jerk reactions and pulling the plug quickly on something and not giving it a chance to work. So that's always something that worries me about what type of governor he will be. I, I don't think you quite, I mean, I think they did that with Budenholzer, but Budenholzer had, I think, maxed out what he could do. He won a championship to regress the kind of losing in that fashion. It, you know, it was just, it was just time, you know, it just felt like it was time. Um, I don't know if they'll do that with Griffin. Um, that brings up some a whole other can of worms. If they were to do that, that is for another time and another day. I don't think they will do that. They're 25 or 12. I think the Bucks are looking at that like, okay, you know, rookie head coach, 25 or 12 with this roster, a lot of overturn, a lot of roster overhaul, new systems, and they're still trying to figure it out, and they're still second in the Eastern Conference. I think Bucks Brass is looking at that, and they're paying attention to how things go during the regular season. Are they continuing to progress? Are they getting better on this end or where they're struggling at? How can we help them get better? You know, are we going to make a move here to get, bring this guy in and help this part get bolstered up? So I think they'll take 
the totality of the season and and eventually give him more time. I, I don't, but that, it's hard to say if they have another first round playoff loss, what would happen? You know, that would be two years straight that, that you're knocked out in the first round. That might smell trouble, but you just you have to look at the totality of the season and give them time to really implement the system and get the players where they need to be. Work in progress. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a work in progress. And I think you give Griffin this season to truly see from game one to game 82, do they make strides to improve? And if they don't, then I think it falls more on coaching because they're not seeing the effort. I just right. remember back when Jason Kidd was holding the clipboard or sipping the uh, the soda while everybody else held the clipboard. I got tired of the constant uh, every press conference. We didn't have a lot. We didn't have good effort tonight. Every press conference. Yes. Our effort was bad. And Griffin's starting to sound like a broken record with that now too. And eventually he needs to figure out the locker room. And I don't know if he doesn't want to step on Giannis's toes or Dame's toes or Brooks toes, which I don't know what it is, but he just needs to get, I think he needs to get more assertive. I don't think he, I don't think the team's lost. I don't think he's lost the team as one person on next was insinuating earlier today because people he knows who were sitting near the bench stated that during the timeout, they were tuning him out. I, anyway, um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's lost the team yet, but I think, I think he needs to get more assertive in what he wants to do and how he wants to leave this team. And then finally, what I want to ask you about Dame, Dame, he, the transition from Portland to Milwaukee has not been as smooth as we would like. And that's another reason why I'm, I'm cautiously, I'm not, I am still bullish on this team that I think they can do well throughout the season because I think once Dame gets comfortable, because I don't think he's comfortable right now for a ton of reasons. I think the biggest one is is the loss of stats. You mentioned the stats knows how to how to how to reach Dame and push Dame to his max. And I think there's stuff going on off the court. We know what's going on off the court. He missed yesterday for personal reasons. I think that's weighing on him a little bit too. But do you think there's that's part of what's going on with uh, with Dame time is that there's just so much going on being in a new city for the first time in his career to the off the court stuff that's been going on with him to trying to figure out how he fits in with Giannis and Middleton. Do you think it's that's pretty much why we've seen Dame struggle so much from the field? Yeah. Uh, you know, if I says, oh, well, you know, he's averaging 25. Yeah, but it's like the worst 25 point per game season potentially he will ever see. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. You know, I'll take the 25 points a game, but it's not it's not very consistent. Uh, it, it's not the, the, the dame that we've become used to seeing in Portland. And it's not going to be because, again, you're with an absolute superstar in Giannis, you know, another top 75 player all time. So it, it's a thing of, yeah, it sounds great putting two superstars together on the same team. But you have to make it work. I liken this to, and, and I'm not comparing these these two combinations whatsoever. So I don't want to hear it on Twitter or X or whatever you call it. I don't want to hear it on threads or anything like that. But I liken it to Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe 
had to figure out how to play with each other, especially when Kobe was on the ascent. And they had Dale Harris as a head coach and Rudy T and all that. But they had Dale Harris as a head coach, and that thing really didn't click until they got Phil Jackson. So you have just because you have two great players doesn't mean that they're automatically going to be great together and do great things. You have to have that catalyst, which usually is the head coach, come in and be assertive, know what he wants to do, get it together, and, and continue to coach those guys, push those guys, put them in the right spots, be successful, have their finger on the pulse of the entire team. So it, it's I think it's a like you mentioned the things going off the court with Dame. You certainly hope everything is okay him transitioning from Portland to Milwaukee, brand new city. He's got his family in there. You know, he's, he's weighing on that. Being the, the alpha dog out in Portland, now kind of being that, you know, 1A or 1B to Giannis, not quite always handling the basketball, figuring that whole thing out. And a rookie head coach who hasn't really had the experience with him, hasn't had the experience of having to have his finger on the pulse of an entire team and, and trying to put that together and push them and put them in the right positions to, to be successful. So it's just so much going on with this Bucks team. But it, it, it truly is remarkable that they are where they are, which is second in the Eastern Conference at 25 and 12. Amongst all of that, trying to figure all that out, all that out and trying to get it together. So you hope everything's cool with, with Dame. Uh, I, I think there's time for him to get it together, time for this Bucks team to get it together. A lot of basketball left to be played. But after 37 games, you know, I, I think the biggest problem is defensively because we're not used to seeing it. How will they get that part together? Well, thank you so much for chopping up with me, uh, stealing your word, uh, chopping it up with me here tonight. Packer, Bears, Bucks, appreciate it as always. Uh, get you back on in a few weeks after we get a few more Bucks games under our belt to talk about the state of the Bucks once again. But before, and you know, we'll talk off air uh, once we're done here briefly about um, that and some other stuff. But quickly, uh, let people know where they can find your work and if they want to, uh, how to follow you and. Uh, Anything else you want to put out there and promote? Hey, well, yeah, you know, I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, hey, I appreciate you, man. For especially with all my technical difficulties, every single time it, it's horrible. So I apologize, but I, I thanks for chopping it up with me and, and having me on. And uh, you know, at the two zero double, I think it's scrolling at the bottom right there uh, on X or Twitter, whatever you call it these days. It's the same thing on Threads. So if you want to go to Threads and, and you're on there, you want to follow me there, I'm there too. I'm pretty more active on there than I have been on X as of late, but I, I still got them both. And TossNationMedia.com, your home for the Toss brand of sports. Truthful, opinionated, passionate. It's what you deserve. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. For those uh, watching it live, listening, I will be back on Thursday to talk some uh, Packers, Cowboys, and the the playoffs here. I appreciate it. Uh you watch and appreciate uh, Trisha for coming on and I'll get back at you on Thursday. Um, hope you all enjoy the rest of your night, next couple of days. And I'll talk to you then. Uh, it's been talking sports with Evan and we'll talk later. not fair that I had to follow you and Brad and listen to each and everything that was said. Imagine what it's like in my shoes. I'm in the film room all day and every night. Following two Hall of Famers just isn't right. But I'm Jordan and I ain't nothing like those two.
darkness retreat Don't wear Wranglers Don't ever text any pictures of my dangler I know you have your doubts and heard your fears But what you're looking for has been here for three years No 